Thank you very much. Great to see you. It's really encouraging standing in front of the sign of our church. We're a family. It's really not very good. Think of some anonymous preacher standing next to a sign that says out of order. Is that the toilet or you? Uh, I'm hoping it's for the toilet. Um, It's absolutely fantastic uh, to... It's fantastic to prepare a sermon. It, it, It makes... A service feel really, really different because, in a sense, you, you've had your, your your head, your heart, your mind, your soul in God's Word. Consequently, I could probably sit down now because the whole of the sermon has been in the songs we've just sung. It is all there. Uh, the problem is, uh, we get I get so wrapped up in singing, I sort of sometimes forget to sort of put those into a context. And of course, we do need to look at the Bible um, bit by bit, and that is what we are doing. And so we are going through a series in 1 Thessalonians at the moment. Uh, Alex kicked us off with a couple of Sundays. Sim preached last week. Uh, I'm doing this week. Uh, I don't know who's doing next week, but uh, I have hope. Um, Ed, Ed, I have great hope and and (laughs) anticipation. What I do know is that uh, it's important for us all to uh, ask God to change our hearts, uh, our minds, our soul. Uh, through his word. So let me just quickly pray before we delve in. Heavenly Father, do praise you that we can meet together as a church. Thank you for the encouragement to uh, see biblical truth in the songs that we sing. Thank you for the encouragement that it is to sing songs. Pray that as we uh, look at this next chunk in uh, this part of the Bible, um, the book to the Thessalonians, that you will uh, help us to understand it, uh, help us to Uh, apply it and through it and through us pray that you will continue to transform uh, the world, transform London, transform Streatham, transform our neighbours Amen So uh, regulars here will know that we uh, regularly talk about this idea of speaking the truth in love it's not an idea that we ourselves have come up with, It's it's a biblical expression um, and uh, I hadn't planned to sort of put this as the title for this sermon but uh, I had another one uh, and when I got to the end of the sermon I changed the title um, which I'm not sure is a terribly good thing to be doing but um, it seemed wholly appropriate so that's where we've got um, what's the context of this passage uh, it's actually you might have seen as it was read and actually we've had it recurring uh, in, our, uh, in our songs, this idea of death, which is uh, not the most sort of uh, optimistic thing to be standing up and, and preaching about, but that's where we are. That's the little passage we've got. Um, so, um, if you can see that in, in 13, um, so the first bit, well, what I've done, just for your benefit, um, inside the, your, your sheet, you've got the passage that you've just read, there's a little line, and then underneath that is the passage again, chunked up into the sections I'm going to do it, and I've actually switched two sections around, just so that I can rather cheekily uh, look at the outcome before the solution. It's been written, solution first, outcome second, but it just sort of helps us to focus a little bit. Um, So that's there, so hopefully that makes sense. We're in the context, and the context is is broader, but uh, clearly there's this issue about um, those who sleep, in death. Um, 
slightly strange expression, the idea of sleeping in death. Uh, but it's not new, it's not novel to this passage. Um, in fact, um, Jesus himself, describing Lazarus, who his friends and relatives said was dead, he said in uh, John 11, after this he said, uh, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. So falling asleep in death is, is death. Fundamentally, Lazarus was dead. Again, the context, this letter was written about AED 51. Uh, I don't know that. The books tell me that. Um, kind of a meaningless date in many respects. Um, it was about 20 years after the death of Christ, roughly speaking. 20 years is actually a pretty short time. Um, this is a timeline. It, it actually doesn't only goes up to 2005, but you can imagine the rest. If we're 2016 here, uh, you can get your iPhone out or whatever you've got and put it on the wall. There we are, we're here. And 20 years takes us back to the Nokia 8110. Um, classic. Matrix. Matrix. Known, known to the uh, general public as the banana phone, known to millennials as the Matrix phone, apparently. Um, anyone have one? Yes. <laughs> That was an exposure of age. What's um, uh, rather funny? These are all just internet images. This one's actually got Michelangelo's uh, The Creation of Adam on it. I'm not quite sure why, um, but there we are. Uh, it is on there. 20 years. 20 years is not a long time. In fact, that phone is probably still in our drawer somewhere, I suspect. Again, context. The church in um, Thessalonica, or Thessalonica was only two or three years old. Paul had been on his missionary journey, established the church. Two or three years old is not very long. For us as a church, it's the equivalent when a few people in a small church in Balham were thinking and praying about whether to set up a small church in Streatham. Um, you might recognise a few people, actually. This one there is another fellow there. Um, it's not long. It's a young church. It's an expectant church. It's expectant because Paul would have preached Christ's death and resurrection. And he would have preached that Christ is coming back. And Christ will come back and he will gather his family from all corners of the, the world. That was the expectation that this church had. It's the expectation that we have, I know, as a church. But what about the people who died? They weren't expecting that. They were that optimistic. They were expecting Christ to return now, fast. They were praying for it. What about those people who had died? Not just people who had died, but Christians who had died. What's going on? That's the context. Bereavement of Christians dying before Christ's return. So a little bit of context. It's not all there in our little bit of a passage, but it is, it is the context. So what's the problem? Well, surprisingly, it is being uninformed. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not 
uh, want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Um, the slightly earlier translation of the NIV uses the word ignorant. We do not want you to be ignorant. A little bit less politically correct than uninformed. Not sure why it changed. I'm sure it changed for good reasons, but it's a similar thing, isn't it? I don't want you to be ignorant of something. I don't want you to be uninformed of something. So, in, in essence, the, the problem is actually ignorance. Which is a bit of a surprise. If you want to know what ignorance looks like, <laughs> it's kind of that. So, it, it's not bereavement that's the problem. It's ignorance. And the consequence of ignorance? Well, death, but actually grief. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who sleep in death, those who have died, Christians who have died, so that you do not grieve. So ignorance leading to death, uh, leading to grief because of the death of Christian family. We do not want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Maybe surprisingly, particularly when you see it highlighted in red, do not grieve, Paul is not actually saying do not grieve. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept before, I think I'm right in saying before, he announced that Lazarus was just sleeping. So, there's nothing wrong with that grief. It is real. Jesus experienced it. The key is like the rest of mankind. Do not grieve like the rest of mankind. You may um, remember, if you're travelling through Brixton earlier this year, just opposite the tube, on the other side of the road, little alleyway, there's this mural when David Bowie died. Um, it became a shrine, effectively. Um, and people grieved. It was an expression of grief. And that's not surprising. In a sense, it's a universal human emotion. And that's not surprising because we are created in God's image. And God grieved. Genesis 6, verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So, we grieve like God grieves, like Jesus wept. Not like the rest of mankind. But as people 
who have hope. Because the rest of mankind, we're told in verse 13, are grieving because they have no hope. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We have hope. I don't know whether you noticed on that photograph there's a little sign. I'm not sure the sign is saying exactly that's where we put our hope, but it is saying, David Barry, you were the soundtrack of our lives. Thank you, Sonia and Dave. Very real for them. Um, I guess as Christians we could almost say, well, I grew up with the soundtrack of. So um, I'm possibly reading too much into it, but you kind of get my point. It's where we put our hope. Um, And maybe if people exaggerate their hope into idols that we've been looking at an awful lot of, and we all have our own idols, if our hope is in our idols and our idols rust, uh, are eaten by moth, are stolen, die, then um, actually in a sense then we do behave like the rest of mankind and have no hope. Brothers and sisters, We do not want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That is the context bereavement of Christians dying before Christ's return. The problem, ignorance and grief that the dead may be left behind. Because that was the thing, wasn't it? Remember the photograph of of running up to Jesus when he returns? the fact they're going to be left behind. So this is where I do a little jump, so forgive me for that, and that's why I've put the passage repeated on your thing, and I've just flipped two things. Um, Because if the problem is that, you could say the solution is this, but where are they going? What's the, why do we need a solution? Well, let's look at verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That was actually in one of our songs, exactly. And so we will be with the Lord forever you can see why they're worried if they've been taught that this is going to happen that Christ will return and gather up the Christians and take them home to be with the Lord in the air forever but the outcome we read here when we read ahead is that actually Everyone will be together with them in the clouds with the Lord in the air. So that's what they want. And actually that's what is promised and is achieved. But maybe surprising, the dead will rise first. They're not going to be left behind. They're going to be there first. Surprising, maybe. 
And it will be very personal. The Lord himself, verse 16, will come down. Amazing. This is not sending a few people, sending an email out, saying let's meet, whatever it is. Sending the angels. The Lord himself will come down. To do what? Well, actually, surprisingly, we're not told in this passage exactly how it will all work, what the mechanism will be. We are told that the dead will rise first. We're told that the Lord himself will come down from heaven. But we are told kind of what it will look like or sound like with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. You're not impressed. (laughs) Yes. It's very military. It is very military. And actually, the military do things in two different ways. One way is quite covert. Um, It will not be this covert operation to sneak some refugees out of Aleppo. I saw another image, I couldn't find it, that actually dug a trench the people traffickers had dug a trench so that you could get the stream of people walking below uh, sort of the, the horizon, as it were, to sneak people out. That's not about sneaking people out, is it? It's kind of more <laughs> Rio Olympics opening ceremony. I, um, I tried to find the the viewing numbers globally of the opening ceremony. I couldn't find it. Um, but, but there was speculation that the, the London Olympics four years ago, about a billion people around the world watched the opening ceremony. That's, um, that's a big trumpet call, isn't it, in a sense? And quite excitingly, uh, in Luke, we read, and they will say to you, look there, look here. Do not go out and follow them. So it's not going to happen over there, nor here. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to another, so will the Son of Man be in this day. Amazing. Amazing. We are promised that, and these people were promised that in this letter to this young, slightly concerned church in the context of their grief about some Christian family who had died before the opening ceremony, as it were, before the event. And the Lord himself will come down. So all of that, and there will be this personal encounter which is absolutely incredible. And how do we know, in a sense, what that might look or feel like? And how can we hold on to that as a hope? Well, again, if we go back to this encounter in John, around the death of Lazarus, we read, after this, he's, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, which we looked at earlier, but I am going there to wake him up. Other times he healed people, he resurrected people, 
remotely. But here's a precedent of him personally going. So the context, you remember, is bereavement over Christians dying before Christ's return. The problem is that ignorance and grief that the dead may be left behind. The outcome? Well, that no Christian will be left behind and all will be with the Lord forever. How? That is really the key thing, isn't it? It's the key thing if we're going to tell other people about it. It's the how, the solution. And for that, we look at verses 14 to 15. So they drop down a, a chunk in the bit under the, the uh, little line on the left-hand side. Well, how? Well, Jesus died and rose again. A bit disappointing? Expected some... Textbook military tactic. We'll do this, this, and this. Christ died and rose again. They were saying when you're preaching that you have to get the gospel into a sermon. Not very difficult this time, was it? <laughs> the, the solution is the gospel. The question is have you wondered what the gospel looks like? I'm wondering whether it looks a little bit like that. It's just a, a Google image. No comment beyond the fact it was just the Google image when I typed death row. That came up. Death row because we are all condemned. You're on death row because you have broken the law. You've broken... Not just a little bit of the law, but a significant bit that put you on death row. Well, we've broken the law. God's law. Not just a little insignificant little bit of God's law. <coughs> but actually, God's law. Summarised by Jesus as loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind... And love your neighbour as yourself. Love the Lord your God. Not just any God. Your God. The God actually. I'm going to add. With all your head, soul, mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. We are all condemned. This is very subtle. is the gospel. Somebody else appears in our place. So when God sees us, he doesn't see us, he doesn't see me, he sees Christ. Images of Christ are really hard to choose and put on. It's the Olympics. That's Christ the Redeemer. Christ the Redeemer in Rio up on the hill that's him Christ the Redeemer 
The only man that actually didn't break the law chose voluntarily to die for me so that when God looks at me, he sees Christ in the reflection, as it were. And vice versa, which is why it hurt. And we've been singing about that. But it's not actually a swap that is going to happen for everybody. It's available for everybody. But it is for those who believe. So verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus, with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. It's those who believe. Those who repent and believe. Those who are in Christ. Those are the people when he returns with all the trumpet call and all the universalness of that. We have to be in him. We have to repent. We have to turn from our way to God's way. We have to believe that Christ's swap on the cross was for us. And that's something that again has come up uh, regularly in, in, this, in this short sermon series. And it's, it's just a, the ultimate in a sense. Um, or not the ultimate. It is a very often used triad of faith, hope and love uh, in the Bible. And in terms of belief, well it's faith in what has happened. Death and resurrection. Hope in what will happen. Christ will return personally with all that fanfare for us individually. So we must love him who will make it happen. Is it blind? Are we disillusioned? Are we foolish? Well, not according to our text. For verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you. It's not just a piece of speculation, it's not just a piece of comfort. It's according to the Lord's word that is told to them. And remember the context. This is a letter being written to this young church, 20 years after Christ died, really looking forward to welcoming home, or being welcomed home actually, and then grieving because people have died. Well, according to the Lord's word, we tell you. Remember, um, what ignorance looked like and what it led to. Did you notice the sign? Stop, look, listen. Not a bad sign, actually. It's what we should do, isn't it? Stop, look, and listen to the Bible, to the Gospel, to the very thing that saves us is the thing that we can we can use as a, as a security in a sense that what we are doing is right because it's, it's all there. But it does, in smaller writing, let's say beware of the trains. It tells you what to beware 
aware of, or beware, be wary of. Well, what do we need to be wary of? Well, lethargy, false teachers, judgment, sin, ignorance. So we can fall into this same trap, uh, as it were, this, this same, not trap, the same weak spot, blind spot, maybe, that this little church in Thessalonica were falling into. Ignorance can lead us into grief. It can lead us into concern. Uh, it can lead us into taking the wrong actions. Uh, but that, that isn't here. That's not in the passage. It, it is the emotional impact of, of, of that ignorance. So the context, bereavement over Christians dying before Christ's return, the problem in ignorance and grief, the dead may be left behind, the outcome, well, no Christian be left behind, and that we will all be with the Lord forever. The solution, it is that knowledge of and belief in Christ's death and resurrection. That's it. The solution to their worries is that. Very, very simple, isn't it? It's all there. It's all there. I've got to leave you, us with an application. And this is where you guys have to work a little bit. Because um, what does it say in verse 18? Therefore, i.e. because of all of that... Encourage one another. There are times in life where we all need a little bit of encouragement and we're all in a position to encourage others. I'll let your imagination wonder why they're having that little head-to-head. And so we can all receive and play our part in that. But that encouragement, you, you can imagine the book of Job. Um, the book of Job, for those who don't know, is the story of a guy who had everything. It was taken away from him. There was this sort of strange spiritual battle that was going on between God and the devil. He was in a horrendous situation and his friends came and for about a week just kept quiet. Which is interesting because they're not actually doing what was here, as in explaining things within the context of the gospel. But then it must have got a bit embarrassing, that, that silence. Imagine it, you're consoling someone, you think you need to say something, don't you? So they just started making things up, kind of out of desperation. Well, of course it's because of this, well it's because of this, you haven't done this, you could try this, and so on and so forth. And it actually <coughs> led to more problems within the context of that grief and of those relationships that in the end God just had to intervene and say, enough is enough. And so we mustn't encourage people out of a sense of desperation that there needs to be some sort of answer, but it's just it's a bit shallow maybe. Because verse 18, encourage one another with these words. 
we need to know the truth of the gospel in its entirety in order to be able to encourage one another. And what does that look like? Well, speaking the truth in love. And we see that in Ephesians 4. Um, Instead of speaking the truth in love, sorry, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. So it's this phrase that we've got that's, it's just not the sort of phrase that you use in everyday life, is it? But it's biblical. Being born again isn't a phrase that you use in everyday life. (coughs) But it is biblical. And I just felt that this passage really reflected what it looks like or what it should look like to speak the truth, these words, in love. There is concern for those who are grieving. Yes, because of ignorance, but from a real issue in terms of that sort of misunderstanding. So you've had the summaries, the application, well, it's speaking the truth in love. It's as simple as that. And you know what that looks like, don't you? <laughs> I don't know who was speaking there. She's talking a lot. So we've left time to speak the truth in love. But it's, it's difficult because you've got to know what what people are going through. You've got to know what to talk about. And there's this sort of strange balance, isn't there? There's the sort of the casual conversation, there's the sort of deep conversation, there's the Bible study conversation. Somewhere it's kind of all in that mixed up, isn't it? I'm rubbish at this, by the way. So pray for me. Um, because we're told to do it. Not explicitly. That, that text is in Ephesians, not in this passage in Thessalonians. But surely encouraging one another with these words. Verse 18 in our passage is speaking the truth in love. So I'm going to stop there. I don't know whether you want to sing, speak the truth in love, eat, entirely up to you.